Hi, we're Josh and Arielle Wamsley, owners of Green Valley Tree LLC, based in North Wyndham. We're proud to sponsor Connecticut East this week and to serve the communities of Wyndham and New London counties with our tree removal and plant health care services. Visit our website at greenvalleytreeworks.com for a full list of our services or give us a call on 860-234-4041. We look forward to hearing from you. Acquired savant syndrome, a condition that presents extraordinary skills after someone suffers a traumatic brain injury or illness. We talked to David Markey about his incredible art ability that emerged after a serious accident. Plus, we take a look at other stories making the headlines from around the region. This is Connecticut East This Week. Scott Smith. Savant syndrome is a rare condition in which someone who is generally born with significant mental disabilities and demonstrates certain abilities far in excess of the average person generally is related to memory. The condition was brilliantly brought to life in the 1988 Oscar award-winning film Rain Man, starring Dustin Hoffman, who played a character who was an autistic savant with amazing memory skills. But you don't have to be born with savant syndrome. You can acquire a version of it and it can take many different forms, as I found out when I visited local artist David Markey at his new London art studio. So we're talking to David Markey. Welcome to Connecticut East this week, David. Thank you, Brian. So a fascinating story that we're going to get into over the next 20 or so minutes about something called acquired savant syndrome. Before we get there, we just want to do a little bit of, of sort of like who is David Markey? So before this life-changing event happened, what were you doing as, as a job? Prior to the accident, I was working on a game-changing project with two partners for almost 10 years. We were developing a consumer tourist ride for Times Square. It um, involved me working with some really great world-class ride designers, engineers. We were testing rides. Um, it was quite an intense project and very physical for me and uh, unfortunately the project ended after my accident because I just wasn't capable of filling the role anymore. So an incredibly busy man, a creative person as well, I mean it is the creative industry Yeah. Mm-hmm. and then a life-changing event happened, you had an accident, tell us about that. Yeah, so while I was in Florida, uh, my friends rented a boat and we went out into uh, the Gulf and uh, it was very rough that day, there were a lot of boats out there and uh, for some reason my friend decided to turned the boat into all these wakes and kind of hot dog over them. And I was on the front of the boat and I was holding on and um, he hit a wake and I was thrown in the air and I came back down as the boat was going up again and broke my back and injured both of my wrists. And I was kind of out until I woke up. And um, and the next thing I knew, I was in the hospital and, um, you know, trying to figure out what had happened. And um, so it was the beginning of a pretty incredible journey. A very severe injury, a lot of recovery needed. So over time, you get over the injury. And then something else peculiar occurred. Yeah. This thing called acquired savant syndrome. Now, tell us, you know, your recollection and how you suddenly realized that this had manifested itself. I I think um, it was two weeks after the accident and... I was lying in bed, and uh, my dreams progressively started getting very vivid in color. And I remember hands just dragging paint around. And and every night, once again, more intense, more intense, but this was happening every single night. 
One night um, I woke up and I just said I need to get paints and I need to get a canvas and figure out what's going on. I have this really strong urge to paint. The next day I was sitting in front of a small canvas and um, some paints and I picked up the brush and that was the beginning of my journey on where I am today as an artist. And just so that we can make this clear for the people that are listening, before this happened, this accident happened, you had no artistic, you said you had no real artistic tendencies. You know, you could do like stick figures and they weren't particularly good. And then suddenly this wild world of art just appears within you. Yeah, it's um, to this day, and that was 2015 when I had the accident. But to this day, every time I um, create a piece of art, I'm still... In amazement, and no matter how far I've gone, I've traveled around the world. I just can't believe that this is coming out of me. Uh, so, and, and I think for the longest time, when I first started painting, I couldn't figure out how this happened, and it was a struggle for me because I couldn't call myself an artist because I didn't go to the traditional training, going to art school, and even um, an outside artist. I just there was no definition for this. So it was a pretty big struggle for me while this incredible thing came out i was still uh, it was juxtaposed with what is it what is it called and you know are there other people out there like me so how did you go about so like you know delving into it more because clearly you were inquisitive as to where this gift had suddenly come from mm-hmm. so just talk us through you know what the journey was then to find out well what is this sure i mean i really did a lot of research and uh, i was looking into uh, post-traumatic stress disorder and another thing called post-traumatic growth. And some of that seemed to align with my symptoms, but it still wasn't it. I've heard just in the past that there are these people that had traumatic um, injuries, whether it was cranial or spinal injuries. And, you know, they wake up from the trauma and they could play the piano or they can speak another language or they can memorize, you know, encyclopedias. And But that really didn't bring this to the forefront Actually, it was um, uh, an attorney, uh, my intellectual uh, attorney, uh, Matt Wagner, who called me up one day in his car and he said, you have to turn on one of the um, news stations uh, because they're having a segment on something that I think happened to you. I went and turned the TV on and I was watching it and I said, wow, uh, this is it. I think this is what happened to me. So I jotted the uh, doctor's name down. It was Dr. Um, Daryl um, Treffert got in touch with him, sent him an email and um, told him um, what had happened to me. And it was interesting because his admin said he, like, he's very busy. He was actually in his 80s, and he's a pioneer of um, um, autism and these types of skills, especially with um, the um, uh, acquired savant syndrome. And she said, he's really busy. Don't expect a re- response soon, but he will respond to you. In 24 hours, he had sent me like, you know, two-page email and was very interested in collecting more data because he keeps the database of um, all the um, acquired savants around the world. And that was uh, the moment that I said, he confirmed it, and he said, um, you definitely fall into this. And um, we started a uh, relationship where he put me in the register, which are about 300 people um, around the world that, um, that are registered now with this. And, um, you know, and, until he passed this past year, um, had a pretty close relationship, um, especially because mine was more of a spinal trauma and usually uh, most of it's cranial. So he started studying the spinal trauma with, um, with the syndrome. And you say you're in a sort of like a pretty rare group. I mean, you say there's 300 registered. I mean, clearly there could be undiagnosed people out there, but, sure. you know, just 300 in the world that are registered. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's incredible as yeah. well. Yeah, it's... Um, you know, I, I look at that and I say, well, you know, you know, am I I'm part of this? Am I part of this? Um, 
but it's not even the number um, that is, is there for me. It's like you said, it's how many more people are there out there that don't know what it is and aren't really diagnosed, didn't have the luxury, for example, of having someone call up and say, you got to watch this program. So a lot of um, the things I do right now, and mission is like healing through my art, but also hoping to reach out through my social media to find people who might have similar situations so I can help lead them. And it's, it's happened significantly through my Instagram. It's amazing how many people have reached out to me from all around the world about similar um, symptoms. Can you give us any examples that maybe, you know, really struck you when they did contact you at all? I, I think the most incredible thing is how personal these people are. I, you know, I don't know them, and it's not just a two-sentence thing. I think I have it, but they go into the entire story, and some of it's heart-wrenching of accidents where, you know, everyone in the car was killed except them, and they suffered, you know, uh, uh, cranial trauma and uh, were in a coma for four months and came out of it, and they became an artist. What I started doing was um, leading them to uh, Dr. Treffert's group, because I used to answer all of these, and it just got overwhelming. I'm an artist, and I wanted to make sure that there was a place for them to go, and um, so I spoke to him and worked something out where they were going to start taking um, calls and emails from these people and hopefully kind of putting them in a place where they would be um, comfortable and once again finally relieved that they they can figure out and tell their friends like this is what happened to me what did people around you you know friends and family what did they think when you know this david that they knew suddenly was creating this incredible art and we're going to be talking about that in in a little while and then when you had found out what it was that had had brought this about in you you know what was their reaction i think um, it's interesting that you asked that question because I'm trying to think back. It was, it was um, disbelief. You know, they had this similar reaction that I had, like, where did this come from? You know, my parents are very creative. I'm, I'm creative. Uh, but to be able to pick up a brush and, um, and paint and create things that are um, way outside of what my comfort level would ever be was amazing, but also uh, very hard to explain. And sometimes people didn't believe it they were you know questioning like okay so you know you used to paint and I'm like no I I didn't paint I think finding Dr. Treffer helped me justify this somewhat so when I was approached by the press or even uh, you know friends or people I now can lead them to an expert that can explain it I don't need to explain it anymore but it was um, you know I remember my first gallery show, my ex-wife and my kids um, came, and it's the first time they ever saw my work, and you know they were like in, in shock in a sense. They were like, "Oh my God, I've never like this is beautiful." And um, so I think the reaction that I got from my family and my friends uh, was the same reaction I had. So you know we, we had that bond and we had that confusion, but um, you know gradually, um, you know, they just waited for the next picture to come out. As you delved into, obviously, the research and, and found out what this was, you know, the, the acquired uh, savant syndrome, is there any, you know, what do we know about why it, cre- it brings out this creative side in people? I think from a medical perspective, people should really Google or go to um, Dr. Treffert's um, um, site because he gives a really good explanation from a medical um, perspective of what happens. But you know, there's, it's called sudden genius. There is something in all of us that um, uh, a traumatic experience, once again, either spinal or cranial, just triggers this 
this thing that's in our brain and, and how we're wired. You know, until his really in-depth studies, and he was also a, a consultant on Rain Man, so you know, he really knows the spectrum of autism and, and art skills, but also this led him into there's this other group that it's not based on, um, on, on birth, if you will, but it's based on um, an accident. The psychology magazines and everyone else that's jumped in to study this has really validated this as a, a medical condition that is, um, you know, has a basis. And other than the arts, um, are you, do you feel different in any other way or, or, does it, or, or is life really the same except you have this now incredible gift of art and, 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 and these, as I say, these pictures which we're going to talk about in a moment? I, I think the fact that this happened to me, it consumed me. I was painting at times um, 24 hours a day, you know, seven days a week. I mean, I've painted over 200 paintings since, you know, the end of 2015, and I, be, I became obsessed with it. And it, it wasn't a, uh, an unhealthy obsession. It was I go to bed and dream at night, and I usually dream my paintings, and the next day I get up and I line the paints up and start. You know, I dream every night. And when I'm in the middle of a painting, I usually dream about finishing it. How am I going to finish, you know? So... It completely has consumed me, but, you know, it's I wouldn't have it any other way. I mean, I just love what I do. I've met some incredible people and artists, and it's just opened up this whole new world that, you know, at my age right now, it's unbelievable that I have to start in life. Are those dreams just as vivid now, you know, five years on post-accident, do you think? Um, I, I mean, as I say, we're going to be talking about these beautiful pictures in a moment I think it, they're actually more vivid because now there's construction and structure to it where prior it was just hands moving around. And, you know, the, the really cool thing about the hand thing is, you know, until I really got into the art world and my um, initial paintings looked uh, similar to uh, Gerhard Richter, the, uh, the German artist, and I didn't know who he was until a, des- a designer friend of mine came over and said, well, you paint in that style. And, I looked him up, and I'm like, wow, it's kind of interesting. And as I was going through his work, I um, noticed a series he had called Hands. And the hands that were in my dream, I believe, were the same hands of his series that he did because the colors behind his hands are the colors I saw. So without getting too heavy on that, I felt like I had somewhat of a kindred spirit there somewhere. But, yeah, I think... The, the dreams I have right now complete the painting, which is different than it was prior. So let's talk about some of these beautiful pieces of art which are hanging around us because we're actually in your studio here and I think you probably won't mind me mentioning it's in downtown New London, which is a very creative city as yeah, well. Yeah. So there's one immediately behind you. I mean, beautiful colours. Just talk us through a little bit about that one, David. Yeah. I mean, what's, what's the style of that one and what's your style now? So my um, my style has evolved significantly, and I look back at my first gallery show in New York, and, you know, the gallery gave me the entire first floor, and, you know, there were 150 people at the opening, and paintings sold before I even got there. And I look at the work today, and I'm like, ooh, you know, some of it is okay, but, like, a lot of it was like, wow, it's not, boy, have I evolved, you know? So I think the evolution of my work is really based on a few things. It's Meeting our other artists, it's also attending the Art Students League in New York, where I um, go to several classes there. I also um, committed myself to uh, residencies around the world. A lot of it was, was healing um, residencies. And um, 
and, and through that, you learn different technique. Um, I learned that it's okay to study, um, you know, an, another artist's work. And if there's something that inspires you, you know, you get inspired by it. Um, r- right now, I'm really, really intrigued by this um, um, this art process called Gutai, G-U-T-A-I. And it was um, really started by um, uh, Japanese artists. And it was more or less a revolutionary of, of art. Um, and essentially... Uh, it's your whole body into creating um, the painting. And it is not necessarily using brushes because I rarely use paintbrushes, but I actually was doing it all along. And uh, one of my instructors at the Art Student League said, you know, you, you're you using this Gutai technique. And once again, I had no idea what it was. And when I researched it, I'm like, wow. Another um, awakening for me was I was actually doing this. And so the painting that you're looking at behind me right now, which... Um, there's a, a progressive Instagram thing going on right now. <clears throat> was um, is created um, in the uh, Gutai um, fashion, where I actually um, took all of uh, the spoons over the past year that I used to mix my paints and created a, a, a mobile with it. And um, then I put a canvas under it, and I started dripping the paint from the top. And they would, it would gradually drip onto all the spoons, and I would manipulate the uh, canvas under it and, um, you know, created a, a, a piece of art. And um, so, once again, it's um, using materials, um, not necessarily knowing where the art piece is going to go, but it's, um, uh, you know, it's a, it's a fluid way to, to paint. So it's very contemporary arts, yeah, clearly. Yeah, yeah, extremely. It, it, it's not ships and animals and things like that. I no, mean, it, it's just no. beautiful. I mean, it's color, it's explosions. I mean, I'm, the one I'm looking at is just incredible. Do they have stories behind them? I mean, other than the one you've just explained, I mean, this one, you know, is to do with the spoons and the mm-hmm. paint. Mm-hmm. Because often when artists do something, they can see the vision of it. Right. And often they explain that to people mm-hmm. because it's their vision. It's a very personal right. thing. Is is there a, a story maybe behind that one that we've there, just been talking about? Or? I don't know if there is the story because honestly, I haven't had enough time to, to look at it, to understand you know, once again, how that was created. I know I was manipulating it. I know that I selected the colors. I know that, you know, I hit the spoons and I can move them a certain way. But um, I think, you know, to your point, if I studied enough, I'll figure out why I did that. Why did I move it? Why did I put orange on there? Why did I put this type of medium to come down on it? Because eventually, you know, it all comes together. Yeah, because I was going to say, because you've been mentioning throughout this interview your art comes from your dreams mm-hmm. and dreams mean something. Mm-hmm. So it'll be fascinating at some point, as you say, when you have time, yeah, you know, if absolutely. anything does come to you about, you know, why. And you said, of course, uh, as well, you've had, you, you know, your paintings are, have been in galleries. You've sold a lot of paintings. I mean, was that also a surprise to you as well? I mean, they are incredible. I mean, I'm yeah. not just saying that because we're interviewing you, they are incredible pieces yeah, of art. And to think that, you know, you've only been doing this for about six years. Mm-hmm. Again, is staggering. So, yeah. did it did it surprise you as well that how quickly people went? Yeah, I want some of that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, from the first gallery show I had, um, as I mentioned, um, you know, two pieces sold before I even got there. Yeah, and I was amazed. First, you have this um, realization of this gift, and then, you know, for me, I wasn't going to do anything with it except paint for myself, and I had no intention of going to galleries or you know selling work. And um, so, when that next kind of level happened it was um it was crazy for me but I, I made a commitment not to focus on 
selling my work because my mission still was to help people identify. Um, also, because art has helped me significantly with my chronic pain that I still have, I wanted to make sure people got that message through my work and not necessarily buy the work that was kind of a, you know, a, a product of all of this. And, um, you know, but I, I've donated a lot of my work. I mean, I donate to the Human Rights Campaign. I've donated um, pieces to Lady Gaga's Born This Way Foundation. And, you know, all of this is to, um, once again, give something to these foundations or organizations that they can auction, but it always has a story behind it. It always has why I'm doing this. And once again, a lot of the organizations I select, you know, are based on mental illness or some type of um, incident or, or, or human rights or something that is are really important to me. And I think, again, that's a really important point to make because we still, sadly, in this world that we live in, look at mental illness as such a taboo subject. And of course, it comes in so many different uh, colours and variations. Mm. And, and we do need to continue the conversation. So being able to talk about this with you is one incredible and the fact that you are continuing to donate work and keep that conversation going as well right. so right. that people can understand it. Yeah, I, you know, I suffer from mental illness also. And, um, you know, unfortunately it's hereditary. So it's, it's passed on to, you know, some of my children and, you know, I can go back in my family and um, identify finally that that's what it was, but I'm not afraid to talk about it anymore. And as a matter of fact, I, um, I like to talk about it so people could see that it's it's okay. It's not taboo. It's you know, and they could look at me as a real person as we're sitting down together and understand that you know there are ways to manage it. You just have to be open and willing to uh, figure out what those ways are, which is the most difficult thing for a lot of people. Final question I want to put to you, and I don't want this to sound like a bit of us like a negative at the end of the interview. Do you ever concern yourself or have a concern that maybe the talent could disappear as quickly as it came? <laughs> yes. Funny that you mentioned that because I am so afraid that that could happen. And it's really strange because it's almost like, um, you know, you get it like that and then it can go away like that. And so sometimes I'm almost like overly cautious of what I'm doing because, um, you know, um, with COVID, you know, I, I got COVID, unfortunately. And um, I thought one of the things that might happen with me is I'll lose not my sense of smell and taste, but my artistic ability. So there's always that. Yeah, there's always that in the back of my mind, but I kind of put it aside and just go forward. Well, David Markey, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you and also being here in your studio and seeing the creative process and this stunning artwork. And we hope that your gift stays with you for many, many years to come. Thanks for being Great. on the podcast. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. And you can find out more about David and his extraordinary artwork by visiting his website at gallerymarkey.com. That's G-A-L-L-E-R-Y-M-A-R-C-H-I.com. Spring and summer are prime time for ticks that can spread Lyme disease and other infections. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention would like to remind you to wear bug repellent when outdoors, shower as soon as possible after coming indoors, and check your whole body for ticks every day. If you've been bitten by a tick and develop fever, rash, or fatigue, seek medical care. To learn more, visit www.cdc.gov slash Lyme. Got stumps? Then call Green Valley Tree LLC and let us remove them for you. Our stump grinder is quick and efficient, leaving your property stump-free in no time. 
Our slope grinding services are available for homeowners, contractors, and municipalities alike. Call us for a quote at 860-234-4041. And find out about our other services at our website, greenvalleytreeworks.com. We're family owned and fully licensed. Time now for a look at some of the other stories making the headlines in the region recently. A new report shows Connecticut has been able to decrease the number of young people in its juvenile justice system since increasing the age of criminal responsibility to 18. Michaela Savitt has more. In 2007, Connecticut was the first state to make this change in a reform package that was completely implemented by 2012. From 2000 to 2011, the state saw 60% fewer minors in residential care. Marcy Mistret authored the report for the sentencing project and notes the trend has led to less need overall for youth detention facilities. States that raised the age overall did not need to build new facilities, and even those that initially built extra were able to close them down after a couple years. Connecticut was able to close a youth detention center and a juvenile training school without having to build more facilities. The report also recommends states address racial disparities in the criminal justice system, such as Connecticut's practice of narrowing the path to transfer young people to adult court. I'm Michaela Savitt, reporting. The House and Senate voted last Wednesday to extend for another two months emergency declarations giving Governor Lamont the authority to continue almost a dozen executive orders on COVID-19 policy. Lamont has been operating with increased authority since March of 2020. Last week, he requested the legislature meet to continue that authority in order to keep 11 executive orders in place beyond their scheduled deadline on July 20th. Both chambers approved the extension until September 30th, although the resolutions were passed by Democrats, a significant number joined all Republicans to vote against him. The House passed the resolution 73 to 56 with nine Democrats in opposition. The Senate voted 19 to 15 with no votes from four Democrats, including Senators Saud Anwar of South Windsor, Dennis Bradley and Marilyn Moore of Bridgeport, and Kathy Austin of Sprague. Colleges of Distinction has recognised Eastern Connecticut State University for a variety of distinctions in its 2021-22 rankings, including badges of distinction for public colleges, Connecticut colleges, business and education programmes, career development, equity and inclusion and military support. Colleges of Distinction is a guide for college-bound students that recognises undergraduate institutions that offer a well-rounded and individualised education. In the day this week, at least $4,000 in damage was done to the water slide at Ocean Beach Park in New London recently, causing the attraction to close. The vandalism occurred while the park was closed and the damage was discovered by workers. A pipe that feeds water into the slide was broken, causing extensive flooding and mud to pour into the area. Fencing that surrounds the slide also was damaged and two signs were stolen, according to Jeff Mullen, who owns and operates the slide, rides and arcade at the park. In the Norwich Bulletin this week, the Roman Catholic Diocese of Norwich has filed for bankruptcy reorganisation to resolve several pending lawsuits initiated by individuals who allege they were sexually assaulted by at least two overseers of a former Deep River boarding school during the 1990s. In a letter posted on the diocese website, the Most Reverend Michael Cote, Bishop of Norwich, said the Chapter 11 filing through the US Bankruptcy Court in Hartford was the most equitable way to deal with the dozens of lawsuits filed alleging abuse at the Academy at Mount St. John. 
In the Middletown Press this week, East Haddam voters rejected a proposed budget by an overwhelming margin last month. Town leaders trimmed more than $580,000 from the spending plan in preparation for another referendum. The new $36.3 million budget includes no proposed tax increases and instead relies on federal pandemic assistance to cover some of its proposed 5.6% spending increase. The failed budget, presented to voters in June, included a less than 1% increase in the mill rate, along with a 7.2% increase in spending. Voters rejected that budget by a 4-1 to margin. And in the Chronicle this week, former University of Connecticut standout Katie Lou Samuelson's dream of making history at the Summer Olympics have come to a halt. The Seattle Storm forward, who was placed in COVID-19 health and safety protocols recently, was officially scratched from the Team USA's first ever 3x3 women's basketball team and will not compete in Tokyo. In an Instagram post, Samuelson said she was heartbroken about testing positive for the coronavirus, particularly because she is part of the 99% of WNBA players who are fully vaccinated. That's all from us for this edition. Do send us your questions and story ideas to the show via our website at connecticut-east.com or Facebook or Twitter at Connecticut East and on Instagram at Connecticut East This Week, where you can also listen to the show again on demand. And please like, follow and share on your social media platforms too. I'm Brian Scott-Smith. Thank you for listening.